Welcome to AP GoPocast from Whitman Hanson Regional High School in Whitman, Massachusetts. I'm history and government teacher Steve Botello, and joining me every episode are students from our Advanced Placement United States Government and Politics course to share their insights on current political news stories in these turbulent times. Student guests will discuss the facts and sources of these stories, make connections to our curriculum, and most importantly, share their own opinions on the big issues of the day. This is AP GoPocast Season 2, Episode 8, our final episode of the year, recorded on May 5th, 2021. And I'm joined today by Zach, Sam, Liam, and Gabby. And they're going to be reviewing the Biden administration and some of the actions that the president and the bureaucracy have taken and shed some light on this biggest branch of government. It is May 5th. Uh, Happy Cinco de Mayo. And I am recording here with Zach. Zach, would you uh, unmute your mic and say hi? Hey, what's up? (laughs) Thank you, Zach. Sam? Hey, guys. And Liam? Hi. And Gabby. Hello. All right. So this is our last episode of the year, and each of these four people read a little bit and researched a little bit about the bureaucracy, and this was now more than a month ago. And what's nice about this is that they read some articles and made some predictions, and they saw into the Biden administration in March, and now it's been a month and a half, and they can now talk a little bit about what's happened since. And they can make some connections to what's going on in the current events, and that's what we're going to do here in our conversation today. So each of each of us is going to have something to say about the Biden administration because we were studying the bureaucracy, the part of the government that I think the United States citizenry knows the least about. The president tends to dominate the media cycle, and Congress dominates the media cycle after the president. But the bureaucracy is the biggest arm of the government where the greatest number of people work. Their actions are those that impact you and me most personally, but I I don't think most Americans really understand and have a firm grasp of what the bureaucracy is and actually what it does on a day-to-day basis. So it's sort of the, the point of, or one of the points of our conversation here. All right, Zach, we'll start with you. What did you look at specifically about the Biden administration and that end of the bureaucracy so mainly what i looked at was like uh code like the covid stimulus check rollout and like how uh small businesses and big corporations are uh, being affected by the recently passed uh 1.9 trillion dollar uh stimulus bill um and basically like 2 million as of april 28th like 2 million um 1400 stimulus checks have been uh distributed so i mean that's going pretty good and small businesses are i think that they're on a they're on a uh, upward trend as far as a uh, financial struggle so we'll see what happens have you noticed in your immediate vicinity in the world that that you inhabit have you noticed any small businesses really being negatively impacted by this pandemic that we are now 
over a year into? Have you seen that in your community, in your life? Have there been any small businesses that have been negatively hit? Well, so like Whitman, at least like I, we have a lot of like really like good small businesses. So I don't think I've seen any that any specifically that were struggling, but they definitely had to adjust. Like um, there's a smoothie place like um down the down the street in the town center, and they have they don't allow people to come in anymore. I don't think they get as nearly as much business as they used to. But um, yeah, they. I feel like they were um, they were struggling a little bit because I don't see many people going in there anymore. But uh, nothing really specific that I've seen. But again, like Whitman is kind of like run by small businesses. We have a ton in the town center and stuff. So in places like like small towns, I don't. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But cities are probably struggling way more. And you folks living in Massachusetts are in one of the more liberal states run by a very liberal state legislature. And even though you have a Republican governor, he's still a little bit more on the liberal side of Republican um, administrators. So the policies that have been impacted into Massachusetts have been a bit more on the liberal end. And if that's true and you're seeing less of an impact on local businesses, like small businesses, maybe at least locally we're we are doing okay in terms of the in terms of the pandemic response all right so one area of this economy one one area of society that's been impacted by the stimulus is big business and big business we're, we're able to and as well as small business we're able to apply for paycheck protection loans that companies that were being negatively impacted by pandemic shutdowns were able to get loans from the United States government and use that money to pay employees who perhaps couldn't work and that it was a way to offset some of the losses that those businesses have had. Have any of you run into any of your, uh, your friends or maybe it's you who had part-time jobs and they were able to keep those jobs, even though the pandemic had limited how much their their job was able to make a profit. Any of you see that? Well, um, actually, I used to work at Dunkin' Donuts. Now I work at Stop and Shop. But um, towards the beginning of the pandemic, they um, I think they they shortened their hours, and like consequently, they just kind of uh, took people off of the um, the the schedule that don't really that aren't aren't using that money that they make for their living like people like me that's just that's a high schooler that just wants some money but there's people there that actually like use that to pay their bills so i mean that's that was definitely affected but um i don't think it i don't think it really like affected their profit all that much i mean it's dunkin donuts so but that's just my business didn't slow down at dunks not really <laughs> We still had a lot of people coming. Hmm. All right. Thank you, Zach. Uh, let's move on to another area of the bureaucracy, a, a, a part of the bureaucracy that we never really thought about until this whole pandemic came about. And what happens if we have a medical emergency like a pandemic and what role should the government play in this? And Sam, what did you want to talk to us about? All right. So back in March, when I wrote about this, uh, Joe Biden 
proposed this plan where he wanted he had a goal to roll out the vaccine for general populations of adults by the end of May. And obviously he's kind of exceeded that. It started earlier in April. So now he is bringing in a plan where he wants to vaccinate more adults, about 70% by Independence Day. And he wants to start vaccinating children from like 12 to 15 by pretty much as soon as possible. And what do you think about that, Sam? Are you, do you think your peers in high school are going to rush to get vaccinated or they're just going to do it because their, their families want them to, or they just don't care? What, what do you sense around you? I mean, I feel like there's more of an urgency to get vaccinated than there isn't, but I feel like because we're young, we can't necessarily get as sick or it's less likely. So we might not be in as much of a rush to get it as older people or people with immune system, like diseases or something like that. But I mean, personally, I wanted to get it. And I know a lot of my friends did too. Do any of you, what do you think about colleges requiring their incoming classes to be vaccinated next year? I've seen stories about a number of the private colleges in Boston that are gonna be requiring their students, I think BU, is one of those that's going to require students to have a vaccine before they can come to campus in the fall. What do you think about that? Sam, we'll, we'll start with you since it's your, your um, story. I mean, I think it's a good idea because I feel like it can open up a little bit more normalcy and an actual college life. So we can start going to in-person classes more with less remote. Uh, we can have more interactions with our peers and stuff like that. So I think it's smart of them to do that. Okay. Liam, what do you think? What do you think about colleges requiring vaccines? Um, I definitely think it's normal to be hesitant towards the vaccine because it's relatively new. Um, but at the same time, if it's been like proven time and time again to be safe, uh, specifically Pfizer, um, then I, I agree with it, to be honest. And I think um depends on the vaccine, though, because I know Moderna and Pfizer are like the better ones and Johnson & Johnson. Uh, you know, people were getting blood clots, and even that was extremely rare. So overall, I mean, I think it's for the better. But I, I can obviously see why people would disagree with it, but I do think it's for the better. Okay. Gabby, what do you think about this? Um, I definitely think that colleges requiring the vaccine has, like, a added to a lot of the urgency for um, kids our age to get the vaccine. And I think it gives them, um, like, less time to think about that decision and, um any like impacts it may have on their health in the future because it is so new. Um, and I definitely think that, I don't know, colleges, yeah, so colleges requiring it have caused like a lot of people our age to get the vaccine um, immediately. And I think it, it can be beneficial to a college wanting to go back full in person because students might be safer once they've been vaccinated. Um, but okay. yeah, <laughs> those are my thoughts. Zach? Um, I think it's definitely a good idea because colleges, I think, have been um, more, I mean, not more affected, but like since it's a bigger group of students that they have to take care of, I've, I've heard um, from like online sources and stuff that college students are really struggling with remote learning because it's just, it feels way more disconnected and it's just not like the college experience that people want at all. Whereas like 
high schools and stuff are more kind of like localized and we have, we already have like a, a better connection, I guess. But um, yeah, I think it's overall just a, a better idea to, to require vaccines because then we can just like uh, get that normalcy back at least a little bit. Now, this was this was a topic that came up uh, last year with my seniors and some of them decided to skip at least one semester of college this year. And I'm not sure about those who's all of those who did decide to skip the first semester, what they're doing now in the second semester. But this was an issue for some of them that told me they didn't want to go to college and just do remote classes. At, like Sam said, they want that college experience. They want to be part of that community. We're just going to play devil's advocate here. This is just an imaginary scenario. But let's just say that there's some sort of resurgence of the, the COVID pandemic and it gets bad and uh, now we have to go back to remote this coming fall. What do you think you and your peers would likely do? Since you've had so much experience with remote learning, do you think people would be more likely to go to school in the remote fashion and just wait until they can get back on campus? Or do you think some of you and your peers might do like my students did last year and, and skip a semester or just put off a semester? Um, I think um, students would be more likely to just go um, remote for a semester because um, whenever we're like quarantined or there's a COVID, a COVID resurgence, usually it's for like an unprecedented amount of time. So I think like, at least for me, like I, wouldn't want to like waste all this time that I could be like getting a semester done of college instead of like actually like I don't know I'd rather go and do a remote semester because I don't know how long we're going to be in quarantine for or how bad the resurgence will be okay guys any any thoughts on this one um I would I think it, oh. Oh, wait. oops Zach and Liam are Zach, it's the problem of the Google meet yeah. Go ahead, Zach. All right. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, so basically, like, I think that um, that it depends on the situation and the person, because some people are more comfortable doing remote learning than others. Like, some people need to be there to be engaged and have that motivation, like, fueled by, like, having others present. And also, another factor is, like, the, the cost of um, the university that you're going to because you don't want to have to pay like upwards of like 30K a semester just to sit in a room and not even experience it, you know? Liam. Um, I'm not sure what I would do, but I it depends on the longevity of, you know, the surge resurgence. Um, I mean, I'd probably go online for a semester i wouldn't care but obviously if upwards of a year then you know i'd feel like i was wasting my time and also i feel like when you know you're online you're just not as present obviously you know there's just so many factors and it's just so easily to get it's so easy to get distracted um whereas when you're in school i mean it's pretty easy uh right. to pay attention and you're also surrounded by you know your friends too so Liam, are you telling me that all these hours we spent this year in remote and hybrid learning that you weren't fully engaged in what we were doing in class? Oh, no, I was. I was completely. Oh, just oh, as, okay. just for this class. 
Oh, we're talking hypothetically about other people. Yeah, let's say like Sam. Oh, okay, like Sam. Now, uh, Sam. Yeah. Sam, what do you think about this? What, what would you do for a semester or? I mean, I think longer? the money the money aspect is big because you'd save a lot because you're not paying the cost of living at school. Because I my brother was full remote this year and he saved a lot of money for not living in the dorm. So that's five to ten thousand dollars. He doesn't have to pay in debt when he graduates. Liam. You had your original essay was about a number of the issues that the Biden administration was facing when they were brand new. So what could you summarize that for us and remind uh, remind us what that was about? Well, it was really just on the key issues of, you know, how the lockdown, like the COVID pandemic and also um, like the clean energy and his also his tax plan at top the top one percent. He wanted to tax them. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was like his main, the main part of the article, the top 1%. And also so that, energy. that's been, it's been more than a month since that was written. What kind of progress or changes, what have you seen on those areas? Well, I think one thing I did not see was obviously like the minimum wage. He definitely really, he didn't do much about that with the $15 federal minimum wage. I, I mean, there's no change, so. I mean, I think it should be raised. And as far as the clean energy, he is—he just actually made the American Jobs Plan March 31st, and I think that's a start. But obviously, I don't know if it'll get approved. So because you know, obviously, lately for bipartisanship, it's been pretty hard with the Republicans and Democrats. So I mean, I hope to see it pass because I think it's a good thing. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. obviously, it'll be very expensive. And what about taxing that, as you said, the top 1%? What do you, have you seen anything in the news about changing the the tax policy of the United States government to aim a little bit more at those high earners and the wealthier class? Yeah, one second. I think he made, he did something. Let me just check quick. Yeah, take time. He also, uh, alongside the American Jobs Plan, he is releasing a, an American tax plan, and the goal is to just make sure corporations pay their fair share in taxes. Um, just kind of what, like, that was like Bernie Sanders' whole thing, but, you know, Biden won, so. Hmm. So maybe we shouldn't be too surprised to see uh, some similarities among the policies of of liberal candidates and progressive candidates. If, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. All right, Gabby. We'll wrap things up with you. You had originally written about one of the cabinet members, and this was during their, her her um, confirmation hearings, and things have progressed since then. Remind us, what was yours about? Um, so Gina Raimondo, um, a moderate Democrat, um, who was the previous governor of Rhode Island, was nominated to be um, the Commerce Secretary. Um, and... Currently, she is elected. She got elected um, by Kamala Harris on March 3rd. Um, and basically, she had goals that were leaning more towards a liberal, liberal, well, liberal side um, to improve American business and um, to skillfully 
um, work in the public sector since she had so much background in the private sector working in Rhode Island. Um, and she desired to create low, good paying jobs and empower entrepreneurs and help improve conditions for American workers. And she also wanted to branch out to create su successful business competition with other um, um, countries. Okay. So you had, you mentioned that the vice president, Kamala Harris, had to be part of this confirmation process. Mm -hmm. Why did that have to happen? Why, why was the vice president involved? We look at the nomination process for cabinet members. The president nominates them and then the Senate says yes or no. So the Senate has to confirm members of the cabinet. And in this particular case, it required the vice president to step in. So mm -hmm. what kind of circumstance would require the vice president to step in and vote when it's supposed to be something that the Senate is doing? Do you remember what the role of the vice president would be in this case that would require her to take action? Um, maybe to like break a really divisive like decision if it was like really broken in half. I think I might've written about it in my essay. And, and I won't put Gabby on the spot. Anybody can help out with this one. Does anybody remember the title that the vice president has that comes into play in this circumstance when they have to cast a tie-breaking vote in the Senate? Is it yeah. like the president of the Senate? Senate? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Okay. President <laughs> of the Senate. Yeah, very good. So the president of the Senate is actually the vice president of the United States. And this tells us that the Senate is very closely divided between Republicans and Democrats right now. And it's interesting that, Gabby, you were writing about a cabinet position, which is typically not something that's very controversial, and yet the Republicans and the Democrats in the Senate couldn't agree enough on at least this cabinet office that it required the tie-breaking vote of the vice president. So this is a really good opportunity to remind us about how divided our government is right now. That hasn't always been this badly divided ideologically. Sometimes it's been worse. It has certainly been divided worse. You go back to the 1840s and 50s, it was really terrible back then, but it's, it's bad right now. And it's interesting that it would require the vice president to come in and break that tie. Mm -hmm. Gabby, did you happen to notice if President Biden's cabinet has been fully confirmed yet? Um, I don't think it is. Am I correct? I don't. I don't think it's fully confirmed. He's all of the typical or the the fifteen constitutional offices of cabinet secretaries. They've all been filled, but there are additional positions that are considered cabinet level. And one of them is going through nomination hearings just this week. It's a science and technology policy advisor. And uh, the gentleman's name is Eric Lander. And he's going through his hearings just this week. So it, it's been more than 100 days since he was nominated by the president. And the Senate is still grilling him and investigating him. Uh, I believe yesterday he had to answer some questions where some of his past positions might have been a little, uh, I don't know if sexist is the right term, but he seems to have shown some preference towards some of his male uh, colleagues and, rather than the female. And he's being asked by the Senate if, if that's going to reflect his 
ability to do his job. So that's that's in the news right now, and this sort of thing is still going on. It's not really out of the ordinary. Now more than 100 days in for a president's cabinet to still require a few nominations to be confirmed. That's not something that should be too terribly surprising um, because this is, again, a, a real a long process to get cabinets actually filled out. And then before we know it, somebody will resign or retire and they'll have to fill another one. All right. Thank you very much, folks. Um, I will say adieu. Have a, a wonderful day. Was there anything that anybody wanted to say in parting? Bye. Thank you, Liam. Uh, Liam says bye. Uh, Sam, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, goodbye, guys. Gabby, you. would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Zach? Adios. Adios, amigos. And uh, I will see you folks tomorrow in class. Have yourselves a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. You too. All right. We'll see you.